Good afternoon and welcome. Welcome indeed to hour number two of the Mark Mosey Show. You know what we need to do? Talk some college football here to kick off the week. Let's go to Houston, Texas. Let's talk to this guy. He does a great job with his Locked On SEC podcast. He's my good friend, Chris Gordy. Chris, how you doing today? Doing good, man. This is uh, it's always a weird time of year. We always think of it as like the dead time because football, you know, we're not playing football, but it's like the busiest when you talk, you know, basketball's winding down, baseball's getting going, softball. I mean, it's it's a crazy, crazy time for, uh, you know, the collegiate sports world because there's so much going on. What about last week where they start throwing around, forget the 12-team playoff, let's just go to 14. What were your thoughts, buddy? Um... I think we need to we need to walk before we run. Uh, I think this is, you know, I think Josh Pate put it perfectly. He said, "Can we can we get some people who actually give a damn about Saturdays in the fall uh, on some of these committees and not just greedy, money hungry people uh, making decisions? It's it's just it, it's it, it's too much, man. I mean, we, I just came to grips. I guess I didn't even realize this, but like." Do you realize in a 12 team playoff, we're talking about some of those teams. If you're, if you're seated five through 12, mm-hmm. uh, you're talking about four games you need to win now to win a championship as opposed to it used to be one. I mean, it used to be you, you, you win the SEC, uh, you know, you win the SEC championship and then the BCS automatically just puts you in the championship game and you go play for a title. Now you're talking about, you know, three potential pitfalls before you even get to that game, uh, you know, of, of you know, single elimination, basically. So it's just, I, I, I think we need to expand the playoff. I have heard some people saying, you know, maybe we should have just gone to six uh, or eight instead of jumping all the way to 12. But I think jumping from 12 to, to, you know, already discussing going to 14, well, how does that work? Are we doing double buys? Are we, do, you know, are more teams getting a buy? I, I'm still not a fan of this. Uh, automatic, you know, you win your division and you automatically move to the front of the line. I think that's stupid because, look, let's be honest. If we're going to do 1 through 12, we should do who's ranked 1 through 12. Um, this whole, like, everybody gets an equal chance, not all conferences are created equal. There are years where the SEC has three of the best teams in college football and the Big 12 champ might be 9-3. and three. So, like, I just I, – that's part of it that I'm not very pleased with. I wish they would change that. But, uh, man, going to going to 14 just seems like can, – can we see how 12 works I, first dude, before we start adding more teams? Chris, I, I'm still confused how the format works for 12. Like, when, when are we playing these games? Into January? <laughs> I'm still confused. Do you understand it? Yeah, so the, the Greg Sankey uh, got on his high horse the other day, commissioner of the SEC, because – they are discussing wanting to move the uh, the national signing day, which we we call the early signing period. But let's be real; I yeah. mean, majority of teams signed a hundred percent of their signing classes in December. It, that's the, that's national signing day. That, that stupid date in February where like ten kids signed. That's not national signing day anymore. So um, the, the SEC is making a push now. They got to get all college football on board with this, but they're making a push. They want to move signing day up to like December first. They want to do it the week of the SEC championship game and, and, and conference championship weekend period because, you know, for the good majority of the conferences, their seasons are over that week. But as I understand it, the third weekend of December is when that first round of playoff games will begin. So Greg Sankey and the SEC and a lot of people apparently want to get signing day out of that week because they're saying 
oh, well, if I got to prepare for a playoff game that week, I don't want to have to, you know, be trying to sign a recruiting class, too. But my argument against that is we just did it. Like, we had bowl games that week. They were literally Florida, uh, what was it, two years ago. I remember Florida was preparing for their bowl game. They were, like, one of the first bowl games out of the gates and had to, sign, you know, put together a signing class. And so, like, I, I don't know what difference it would make saying, oh, well, now we might have three teams in the playoffs or, or two teams in the playoff, and so they can't sign a recruiting class that week. But uh, doesn't it put a burden on the two teams playing for the SEC championship? If we do it that week, too, like, we really want to hurt them. So I don't know what the right answer to that is, but to, to answer your question, the third weekend of December will be the first round of, of, of games, and then the next week would be uh, the games with uh, the, the four teams that were on by. Is every day National Signing Day, though, because of the transfer portal? Well, it is, yeah, I mean, it, it has become that way. I'll say this, though, like, the whole purpose of – the early signing period was supposed to be for kids that already have their mind made up. Like, like for instance, if I'm a high school kid and I grew up in Jacksonville and I, my whole family are Florida Gators fans, uh, you know, my dad went there, my grandpa went there, and I just know no matter what, I want to be a Florida Gator. I don't care if, Billy, if it's Billy Napier. I don't care who the head coach is. I'm a Florida Gator through and through. That was the whole idea of National Signing Day or the early signing period in December was to get it out of the way. Hey. I've already made up my mind. I know there's no, no change in my mind. I'm going to Florida. That's it. Uh, instead, it pivoted into, no, that's just the February signing day, but it's in December now. And, it, you know, it's just that wasn't the int- original intent- intention of the, the, uh, the early signing period. So, I, look, I'd be, I'd be on board with moving signing day back to February. Yeah. Um, you know, make it where, okay, only the early enrollees. If you will be a January enrollee, you sign in December. If not, you wait until February. I would be fine with that. It would make things a little bit less hectic. But you're right. Um, with the transfer portal, everybody's saying what's, what we're doing now is not the right way. But I don't, I don't hear anybody who's got a right fix to the situation. I've heard some people say, well, let's just we'll, we'll open up the transfer portal post-spring, and that's it. Yeah, that sounds good. But what if you were a kid who played co- college football for a team this year, and you or your coach had a falling out? And it just wasn't working, and, you know, he doesn't like you, you don't like him, and yet you have to stick around with that school for a whole other semester. You have to go through all the spring ball with that same coach who you hate, he hates you. Like, there's got to be an out there where a kid can, can get out. Because you and I, if we were just normal college students, you know what we can do at any point? Transfer. I mean, yes. we, we can go to any school we want at any semester we want. So um, I don't know if putting up that restriction is going to make things better, but to your point, yeah, it's it's, it's the Wild Wild West right now, and it, and it's we're seeing coaches jump ship because I, I'll tell you this: years ago, I walked into a coach's office, and I was amazed how forward thinking they are in planning ahead. They had a full depth chart uh, of both offensive, defensive, special teams up on a, on a chalkboard, and they had next year, they had the year after, and they had the year after that, and they were basically mapping out. Okay, well, once we got this kid signed, we know he's here for at least three years, so he's going to be wide receiver two, and then he'll move up to wide receiver one. Well. You can't do that anymore because you don't know who's back next no. year until you know you, you get confirmation from the kid. And the transfer portal closes. You don't know if you're going to have that kid next year, so it's an impossible task. We're here with Chris Gordy. Does a great job with his podcast, Locked On SEC. He's also a great on-air dude for Sports Talk 790 there in Houston. I have made a new rule as a program director. I am not celebrating any signing day stuff until the student athlete is in fall camp practicing for the team. Is, is that okay if I go with that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so funny, the, the weirdness of it. I saw Alabama, 
you know, still signed the number two recruiting class that included Julian Sand, who we already know is going to Ohio State, yet <laughs> Alabama still had to, you know, sign on the dotted line for their signing class that included Julian Sand. It's just so funny. It's like, why, why are we even going through this song and dance here? Like, we know he's not there. He's transferred out. So it's, um, I'm with you. Yeah, it's uh, until you see the kid uh, in your spring practice or in the fall, uh, you know, camp, you, you don't know if you have the kid or not. And so um, it's, it's a weird time. Again, I'm for player empowerment. I'm, yeah. I'm for the players having some options and getting paid and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, man, the NCAA just – I don't know if there's – the IRS, the DMV, and the NCAA all – there's a special place in hell for all three. And uh, they really botched this one not getting ahead of it. I know this is a cliche question, but I have to get your thoughts. Do we need a Roger Goodell level commissioner for all this moving forward? I think it would help. I've heard a lot of people push for Nick Saban, um, you know, to be the voice of reason. Obviously, who would know more, you know, the, the concerns and the issues for uh, college football better than Nick Saban? I, I don't know if he would be. I don't know if he would want that task. I mean, he just signed a multi year deal with, with ESPN and College Game Day, so I don't think he wants to be a commissioner on top of it, but. You know, maybe you can create a council that he could be a part of to just kind of – we just need more common sense. Like, we're, we're lacking common sense these days with a lot of these decisions. And it's like, you know, I'll never forget, I have a friend who went to Oklahoma and played in a uh, golf tournament years ago and hit a hole-in-one. And you hit a hole-in-one, you get a free car. And he got a free car. And NSA walked in and said, no, you can't. You can't have that car because you're a student-athlete. It's like, why is common sense not intervening here and saying – any other student at a school could could win that car, but because he's a student athlete, he can't win the car. So there's just there needs to be more decision makers out there who use common sense approach. I've heard uh, people throw out there that uh, uh, you know some some different names for college basketball as well. Um, you know, I, I think there needs to be a decision maker up, up top, but obviously, you know, Mark Emmert was not the guy to do it. And so far, some of the ideas I've heard from Charlie Baker as the head of NCA, have me questioning if he's the right guy. So, yeah, look, I, I think college football needs it. I just don't know who that person is. Since you live there in Texas, when when Saban stepped down and their top receiver, Isaiah Bond, he transfers to go play for Sarkeesian there in Texas, and the quote was, what, business decision. That kind of turned me off as a college football fan. Like, Bama's not good enough for you? Like, be, being the top quarterback at, at Ohio State, Oklahoma, you're Bama. What? So what is happening here? Is there any loyalty left in college football? Well, I just I think we need to get back somewhere in the last decade. We've we flipped from guys wanting to play for a school to guys wanting to play for a coach. And I, and look, I I think to a certain extent, yeah, you want to play for a coach. But I think at the end of the day, you, you want to have a good portion of guys who, if your coach gets fired or leaves tomorrow. You say, the hell with that guy. I signed up to play for XYZ University, and this is where I want to be. Um, I understand it's going to be a little bit different for quarterbacks. I understand it's going to be different for, for, for a lot of guys. I had a friend who was a running back who signed on with a school that was running a run-heavy offense. That guy leaves, and the next guy comes in and says, yeah, we're going to throw it a million times. So, you know, you're kind of SOL there. But uh, I, I still think we just kind of get back, need to get back to the kids choosing the school because of, hey, I want to play for this school. And, and uh, you know, look, the NFL, the NFL will find you no matter where you are. So yes. there's this stu- stupidity about, oh, uh, you know, I was going to play for this guy. And he left. Now I'm screwed. Like, no, you, you, you go play for the school you want to play for. And if you're good enough, the NFL is going to find you. But um, I don't know, man. It's, it seems like the last decade or so we've had way more guys choosing coaches 
and it's just a dangerous territory to do because we have coaches leaving um, constantly for, for better opportunities too, right? Like, let's not act like these – everybody wants to incriminate these coaches and go, oh, what a despicable guy. Yeah, I'm sorry, the guy got a better opportunity somewhere else. You would do the same in your job if you had the same offer. You wouldn't go, well, i got to be loyal to this job, even though they're paying me a lot less money. Like, no, you get a better opportunity elsewhere, you go. But um, I don't know, man. It's just, it, it, you're right. The word loyalty is, is not there anymore, and uh, we kind of need to get back to that. What was your thoughts when, when Nick Saban finally stepped down about a month ago or so? Yeah, it's funny. We we had talked about it as as a possibility. Um, you know, we back in November, a friend of mine had told me, you know, there's a chance if Saban wins at all, he could retire. And I remember talking to some of my SEC friends saying, "Hey, you know, would you if it meant Bama winning another title, would you sacrifice that for Saban to retire?" And we all agreed, "Hell yes!" Like, yeah. go Bama, roll tide. Like, let's let's see him win one more title if that gets him out of here. Uh, we had no idea him falling short still meant he was going to retire and step away. So it's funny. We were at, uh, here in Houston, they had the Bear Bryant Awards every year. And we were at the, uh, you know, the kind of ceremony beforehand where they were letting us interview a lot of the coaches who were finalists. And we just happened to have Eli Drinkwitz on, the Missouri head coach. He was the lone SEC coach there in person. And we were interviewing him on air as the news broke. And huh. to see Eli Drinkwitz's reaction, he said, God, we were just on a conference call this morning with all the coaches, and Saban was bringing up different topics, and like there were no signs at all that he was going to step away. So it was shocking, uh, but it is funny. You kind of saw a little bit of a smile come across Eli Drinkwood's face. By the way, Missouri has to play at Alabama next year. Uh, that, that game gets a lot more easier. Um, but I, I do think you had a lot of coaches across the SEC that maybe you know cracked open that special bottle of bourbon that night and had a nice little cocktail as a celebration because – you know, as a fan of the college game, it stinks, you know, to, to see the, one of the greatest of all time walk away. But by the same realm, you know, I do the Lockdown SEC podcast, and I got 13 other, soon to be 15 other fan bases that were all throwing parties and celebrating the day they found out Nick Saban retired. So um, I think it's better now. I think, you know, we'll see what Kirby Smart, if he continues the role he's been on, but it does feel like it opens up the SEC wide open now because Saban has dominated for so long in that conference. So. Um, yeah, it's it's great to see because it feels like everybody gets a turn now. And Saban never went back to Alabama or never went to Alabama, and he stayed in the NFL. We know at least one case: the 2012 championship. Les Miles probably has another championship. Auburn may have another championship. I mean, think of the the repercussions of if Saban had not come to the SEC. I think you'd have, you'd have way more equality around the SEC. You think back to. You know, LSU wins it in 03 and then 07, and then Florida wins it twice. You know, it was Auburn gets theirs with Cam Newton. It was kind of like everybody gets a turn. And then suddenly it was just Bama, Bama, Bama. It was like, okay, wait, let's, let's spread the wealth here a little bit with the SEC instead of one school winning it all. Hey, he took it from Kirby this year. Come on. I, yeah. I, I think Georgia would have won the championship if they don't lose that game to Bama. I just, I, oh, no doubt. I, and look, I can make a case. They des- they deserve to be in still. I mean, I, I didn't understand why Bama get a, got a pass for a 10-point loss on their home field to Texas earlier in the year, yet Georgia, the mission was, hey, I know you went undefeated, but you still have to win this game. Well, it was their first loss of the season. Why does Bama get the loss? And Georgia, you know, Georgia gets left out just because of when they lost. So, it um yeah look I get it it was a fourteen playoff and you couldn't put everybody in but if you watch Georgia in the bowl game obviously even with all the Florida State opt outs uh look you'd be fooling yourself if you didn't think Georgia was one of the four best teams in the country they they would have killed Michigan I'll take that to my grave yes. 
They would have killed them. Yes. Just like they would have killed Washington. I look, dude, I saw them play Florida and Jacksonville. They annihilated the Gators. Just killed them in that game. It wasn't even close. Just it was bad. Um is SEC Media Days is that in Dallas, Texas this year? Yeah, so I believe it's the I want to say it's the Omni Hotel. It's one of those hotels down there that uh, the owner is a big uh Texas Longhorn grad and I think they had reached out very early on and said, "Well, look, uh, you know, we, we want to host you guys here. Uh, the tough part about that week is it's going to be, you're going to have SEC media days going on in downtown Dallas mm. and right across town in Arlington, you're going to have the MLB all-star week going on no. with the home run derby, the all-star game. So yeah, if you haven't booked your hotel for Dallas, oh, yet, no. you, you may want to get on it because it's going to be a madhouse. But what's so funny about it is they ran the big 12 out of town. The big 12 just announced they're moving their SEC media days to Las Vegas which doesn't make uh, one no. iota of sense because, you know, you, most of your teams are from the state of Texas or the Midwest, and it's like you're, you guys are going to Vegas where you don't even have a team. So it's just kind of funny. It shows the power of the SEC that, uh, you know, Greg Sankey says, yeah, now that we've got Texas and Oklahoma, yeah, let's go to Dallas where the headquarters of the college football playoff are. And, uh, hey, Big 12, take your, uh, take your media days elsewhere. I'm not spending $500 on a hotel for the night because the home run <laughs> derby's there. Okay, and I I wanted to be at Jerry Jones Land because that's where the Big Twelve media thing was last year. I don't care about the Omni Hotel. Come on, man, make some calls. Yeah. Let's go. Hey, look, man, money money talks. If you own a hotel one day, you can make decisions like that as well. I will work on that for you. Before I <laughs> before I let you go, we're here with Chris Gordy. Uh, since you cover the Houston Texans, I want you to be honest with me. Did you expect when you went to the NFL draft? that you were going to get the best quarterback on the board and you'd go into the playoffs. Did you think that? Uh, not, not, not at all. I mean, not even, it wasn't even on the radar. I, I thought, and, and I still think that there is something in Bryce Young. I, I'll chalk it up to, yeah. you know, it was a terrible situation he was throwing into. A lot of people have given up on him already. I think that's a little, a little premature. We can't, we can't, people didn't like his size. I get it, but we can't just say the guy's a bust because he had a, a rough rookie season. I mean, Peyton Manning had a rough rookie season, and, and look what happened to him. So there's there's guys that could turn. It's it's never too early to turn things around. But I also don't want to do the other thing and crown C.J. Stroud the next coming when we've seen guys have a great rookie season and then you know the league catches up to him. I mean, after Robert Griffin the third after his rookie season, I was ready to go. Man, this guy's going to take the league by storm. And then he gets injured, and then he's never the same. And and you know we never saw the same quarterback. Um, so, yeah, so the, we can't overreact either way, but what we saw from C.J. Stroud was a dude who took full control, who was a leader both on and off the field, and a guy who had full control of that offense. Now, let's keep in mind as well where all these coaches came from. D'Amico Ryans and the offense quarter, Bobby Slowick, came from the San Francisco 49ers and the Shanahan system. That is very quarterback-friendly. Why is it quarterback-friendly? Well, when we can literally plug and play Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, and he leads the team to the Super Bowl, you know your system is very quarterback-friendly and, and set up to make you look good. So um, I think C.J. Stroud did a fantastic job of that. I do think they, you know, they have a ton of cap space. I want to say it's like $65 million in cap space they have to spend this offseason. So they're going to upgrade a lot of weapons around him and surround him by more talent. But uh, no, I mean, I think you'd be kidding yourself if you thought that that was going to happen. I'll never forget the year after D'Amico Ryans retired uh, from, from football, he moved back here to Houston, and we had him on as an, as an analyst. Uh, once a week throughout that football season. I'll never forget towards the end of the year, he tells me, you know, I got to go try my hand at coaching. I got a buddy with the 49ers who's going to get me on as a, as a, you know, assistant and 
I got to go try it just to say I tried it. I don't even think I'm, I'm going to be a good coach, but I got to go try it out. And here we are, what, about six, seven years later, yeah. and he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. So um, crazy how that happens sometimes, but couldn't happen to a better dude. D'Amico is, is one of the most genuine, awesome dudes out there. And just so happy for his success and C.J. Stroud. And, and I'm excited to see where this where this goes over the next four, five, six years. And the, the other part is when it's a 30 for 30 on ESPN five years from now is, <laughs> remember, so Lovey Smith wins that game where you yeah. win the game at Indianapolis where you shouldn't have won. And you were, and you were competing, what is it, completing these like fourth and 20 plays as well. You get the two-point conversion. Yep. Were you on the air after that complaining, why did we win that game to not get the number one pick? Yeah, I mean, it was soul-crushing. We, we talked about it all week. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, the funny part about it is Lovey had already gotten word that he was going to be out after just one year, and that was kind of his bleep you to the organization. Like, he was looking to stick, you know, the middle finger at him and go, ha, I took you all out of, you know, the number one pick after you held it all year. But little did he know he did them a favor. And, and you know, look, I, could Bryce Young be successful in this offense? Probably, but not to the extent that C.J. Stroud was. So, he did him a favor, and look, if C.J. Stroud leads the Texans to a Super Bowl one day, they may build a statue of Lovey Smith outside yes. the stadium just because of that favor he did for them. And the Bears will as well, and I'll just tell you this. Remember, Lovey wins that game that gets the Bears the number one pick. So then the Panthers call the Bears and say, we want Bryce Young. Fine. Right. We want your pick. I'm telling you, in, in the normal scenario – Carolina should have the first pick and should take Caleb Williams right now. But now the Bears yep. are going to take. Isn't that weird? Just the the just the snowball effect of all of this from that game. Yeah, no, it is. And just you know, buyer beware. If you're going to go all in for a guy, make sure he's the guy. And yeah, if they could do a swap right now in Carolina, I'm willing to bet they would swap Bryce Young for uh for Caleb Williams. Unfortunately, you went all in on Bryce, and that's your guy. And Chicago is going to be the beneficiary in, in getting Caleb. So would, would you take? Um, yeah. would, would you take Caleb number one? He, he's the, the diva qualities in him scare me a little bit. Um, you know, I saw his GQ spread where he was wearing a dress. Thought that was interesting, but nonetheless, uh, a guy who you know threw out all the stuff about um, you know the NIL and and uh, you know had some nice NIL deals. I talked with a buddy of mine who works for a company that had him on an NIL deal and told me what a diva he was to deal with. And then, you know, the talk of, uh, oh, well, he might come back to school if he doesn't like the team that has the number one pick. Just, you never want to hear any of that stuff um, about a guy because it just – and it makes you judge him. But he's got tremendous arm talent. But I'll just tell you this. After, you know, interviewing Jaden Daniels a couple times uh, over the last two years in his time at LSU, humble dude, team player, Heisman winner, Great, you know, made the, the leap Jaden Daniels made from, from year one to year two at LSU and throwing the deep ball, it was on par with Joe Burrow's leap that he made from 2018 to 2019. If he had any semblance of a defense at LSU this year, he's probably winning a national championship with LSU this year. So um, I'll just tell you this, I like Jaden Daniels, and there's been some talk of him jumping Drake May at two. And yes. you know, even some teams, you know, rumors that some teams may have him number one ahead of Caleb Williams on their board. Not saying the Bears will do it, but some teams do think that way. I agree. I think he's going number two. I, I agree with you. And it's crazy to say, all right, what can we check out with the Locked On SEC podcast, buddy? Yeah, just search Locked On SEC wherever you get your podcast. Having a fun time uh, keeping everybody up to date on all the latest news going on around the SEC on a daily basis. I mean, it's with the transfer portal and, you know, coaches jumping ship like crazy. 
there have been no shortage of topics on a daily basis. So we're, we're talking mostly SEC football, uh, you know, five days a week on Locked On SEC. So check us out wherever you get your podcast. Chris, thank you so much for your help and have a great week. All right, man? Yeah, man. Anytime.